Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio episode number 143. I'm Sean. And I'm Jack. And we are officially into summer now. I know... We're unofficially into summer. Well, Memorial Day passed... For me, that's the official start of summer. And I know as a kid, you started thinking about going to camp around this time of year because the school year was starting to wrap up. So naturally, we had to discuss the 2008 DCOM Camp Rock. I usually start a lot of these episodes by asking you if you've ever seen this film before and was it a staple in your house? And I'm going to go ahead and save you the effort. No and no to both. Was not a Joe Bro fan. But, I mean, this was, like, right as they were exploding, and I sort of remember that. So, like, even as somebody that was way outside the age range for what the target demographic was for a DCOM, I knew who the Jonas Brothers were, and especially working in Top 40 Radio. So, with that being said, I remember when this movie came out, it was a big deal, Right. I thought it was actually made for the Jonas Brothers, and then they sort of piggybacked Demi Lovato on and launched her career out of it. But actually, as it turns out, they had the script written, and they cast Joe Jonas, and that's how it became a Jonas Brothers movie. They added the brothers' characters once he had gotten the part. Gotcha. Yeah, um, yeah, it's kind of weird, I guess, that they wouldn't have just gone directly to them because at the time they were sort of their biggest, I don't want to call them property because they're human beings, but they were their biggest property um, in terms of series and in terms of fame. So I, like you, would have thought that this was, it was written for them. Well, I guess that's why I thought it was a vehicle for them because I didn't realize it was a decom. So if you're looking at it in that regard, they were so big at that point, right. are you really going to put them in a decom well oh. they put debbie reynolds in a decom yeah. so what do i know anybody can be in a decom but does anybody want to watch this decom that is what we are here to discuss today this review is sponsored by the hidden mickey supply co products include disney and pixar inspired 3d straw charms listeners of monoreal radio can get a 10 percent discount with the code monoreal 10 at checkout visit instagram or etsy search for hidden mickey supply co and shop for all of your straw charm needs mitchy torres is an aspiring singer who gets the thrill of a lifetime when she finds out that she will spend her summer at camp rock after her mother secures a catering contract there and uh can afford to take take her with her because now she's going to get it at a discounted rate. She arrives to find out that Shane Gray, frontman of the popular band Connect 3, will be a celebrity instructor this summer because he's got to make up for some bad press. She also learns that Tess Tyler, daughter of famed artist TJ Tyler, has full run of the camp and after Mitchie lies about her mom being the president of Hot Tunes TV China, Tess invites Mitchie to move into her cabin and join her girl group at the camp. Mitchie and Shane get off to a rocky start, but they do start getting along eventually while Mitchie does everything she can to hide her mom's identity from everyone, which is foiled the minute that Caitlin, a fellow camper, um, is sentenced to kitchen duty for the summer after starting a food fight with Tess. 
Caitlin is initially furious with Mitchie and warns her that being friends with Tess means suppressing your talent. Meanwhile, Shane attempts to find the quote-unquote special voice that he had heard earlier in the summer because he hears Mitchie singing, but of course he did not know that it was her and he's looking for that voice. When Tess finds out the truth about Mitchie's mom, she exposes her to the entire camp. The campers eventually forgive Mitchie, although they were furious at first. Uh, So to get her kicked out of the final jam, which is the big event at the end of the summer, Tess plants her own charm bracelet in the kitchen to frame Mitchie and Caitlin, so they are banned from performing until after final jam has ended. Eventually, Tess alienates herself from any friends she has left and is heartbroken when her mom spends her entire final jam performance on the phone, because now everybody has come in to see the performances. Margaret Dupree, one of Tess's backup singers, performs a solo that draws approval from Tess. With final jam officially over, Mitchie gets her chance to perform and exposes herself to Shane as the mystery voice he's been chasing all summer. Margaret wins the final jam trophy as well as a chance to record a song with Shane. Tess then confesses that she set up Mitchie and Caitlin and the campers jam out one more time. So, is it just me? Or, when the film opens, is this the house from Fuzzbucket? Talking about really bizarre, off-the-wall Disney films. Obviously, the front yard treehouse is not there, but I would have sworn this was the house from Fuzzbucket. I actually thought it was Boy Meets World, which I should know right off the top of my head because that was my favorite growing up. Um, obviously, if they're just using the exterior, they can change some things around, and with the passage of time, it's going to look different. Right. I don't know about Fuzz Bucket though, because I remember the driveway. It was very specific about the driveway. I mean, the treehouse they could have added all of that in, um, but I don't. I don't think it was Fuzz Bucket. Maybe I don't know. It, that's what it looked like to me. But you see the outside of the house. We wake or Mitchie wakes up. She's performing on her piano first thing in the morning. She's jamming out. You get the Connect 3 poster on the wall so you know that they're really, really famous and everybody likes them. Basically, they're the Jonas Brothers of this universe. (laughs) That's sort of, they're playing themselves for all intents and purposes. Smart choice on Disney's part because if the whole Shane character is going to launch off of bad PR, you really don't want to bring down the Jonas Brothers reputation like that. Mm-hmm. For sure. I I can't believe how much energy she has. I mean, I get it that they're setting up this endearing character, but I have never in my life had that much energy before school, even on the last day. Yeah. So now it's the last day of school, and we see that Shane Gray on the gossip column on television or the gossip show it's like a tmz or an access hollywood or whatever he's a bad boy and he walked off the set of a music video and now connect three is canceling their summer tour so they do a good job of setting up how he does end up at camp rock to this film's credit they do that very well what is that tv that they are broadcasting this on i mean this film was 2008 and the move, the television looks like it's from 1980. Well, I th- it's 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 a kitchen TV, right? I mean, even in 2008, I think you could still buy a tube TV. Now, this was really just like 
a 12-inch TV that you had on a shelf in the kitchen. I think, well, here's the thing. And actually, I can answer that question for you right now. Remember, the only reason why Mitchie can go to camp is because her mom gets a contract to be the caterer, which is absurd because the camp would have had their catering worked out months ahead of time, not the day before camp started. But we're going to overlook that because you had to get her into the camp anyway. They sort of set up that they can't afford to send her to, the, to this camp, even though they own multiple businesses and have a beautiful home. You're, you're kind of led to believe that they are an Anywhere USA working class family. So I can sort of buy the fact that they don't have the latest and greatest of televisions because, again, 2008, it, it, was, it was a big nut to spend if you were going to get a flat screen TV. I'll buy that, but to me, if you had the TV kitchen, you had money. Uh, yeah, I, that's true. I anybody I knew that had a TV in the kitchen was kind of a big deal. It wasn't like, oh wow, somebody got the thirty-two inch TV in the living room and then they bumped up to the fifty-five. If you had a TV in the kitchen, it was the height of luxury. It was almost as good as having one in the bathroom. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, though I. I think we're both I think we're both on the same page here. I, I think it can go either way. I think we just lost our youngest audience because they have TV in their phones and they're never gonna relate to this. Let me tell you the story about the VCR. So now um we get to the camp, right? Because No 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 no. There are a lot of expositional problems that we need to dive into before go ahead. we get to camp. Okay, you go ahead. I have some major issues with the setup. All right. Um, she comes home from school and her dad asks her how work was. We never see her go to work. That's true. Which is important because we just unpacked that, you know, they're not the most well-off family. So I think it's, you know, an important part of her character that she's working to do her part for her parents. That's right. And she's like, we make hamburgers. What's for dinner? And he's like, hamburgers. Yeah, that's right. I forgot you never actually see her at her job. Right. And they didn't even need to say that she went to work. I would have been fine with her just coming home from school. That's not even the most egregious part of this, though. I feel like we need a little bit more context as to if this camp is locally famous or industry famous and they just happen to live close by because otherwise I feel like it's not enough with, oh, we can't afford it. And then magically the mom just happens to get this job. I mean, I'm going to assume that they're close by because she drives up the catering truck. Yeah. But I feel like it would have been a little bit more of a, a better conflict if this camp was like far away or in L.A. or something like that, and they're in middle America, and it would have checked more boxes as far as them not being able to afford it and been more realistic as to why Shane is there, other than that it's his uncle's camp. Right, where Connect 3 got their start. Like, they do a good job of setting that up in heavyweights. Yeah, that's, that's fine. That's but, all fine. But I'm saying in heavyweights, they do a good job setting up, like, the parents are spending a ton of money to send their son to camp because he's got to get on a plane. I mean, he is nowhere near home. It's a big deal to to do that. Right. And as far as it being everybody who's anybody in music went to this camp, is that because you've had these local bands that have, you know, hit it big time and that's why you're interested because it's right in your backyard? Or is it like 
Is it like Juilliard where you have to go and you have to have this on your resume? Right. Now you have, and what else do you have before we get to camp, or are we ready to arrive at the camp? One more. We're okay. not there yet. Okay. <laughs> I need more of a passage of time between you can't go to camp, we can't afford it, and, oh, I just got this job. How do you not know you had that job, especially if you are on the struggle bus? How do you not know you had this job coming to you? Well, that's what I'm saying. It's irrational that they would not have known who their caterer was until, like, the day before the camp opens. Because I get the feeling it's like... And maybe to speak to your criticism of the passage of time, it, I feel like school ends and the next day they're at Camp Rock. Exactly. It's like you would have that worked out months ahead of time. You could even have some ridiculous story where the caterer fell through and they needed somebody last minute. Right. They just needed a little bit more of a throwaway line to cover that all of a sudden she got this job. I mean, I know bigger picture, you need that moment of she's so thrilled that she can go and she thanks her parents and it's a really sweet moment. But you're sacrificing a lot of story just for the big smile on her face. Yeah, I, I that I agree with. Now we can go to camp. All right. Holy wind machine. When... <laughs> When Tess Tyler gets out of her limousine, she looks like she's standing in front of a jet engine. Yeah, there is a Beyonce fan of epic proportions there. It's, uh, yeah, it's really, really bad. Although I will say it is kind of interesting to introduce her like that because mm -hmm. you assume the limo is Shane's. Yes, yeah, um, that kind of caught me by surprise as well. Right, it, it posed an interesting question, who is this other person now? Right, so you're here, Shane's uncle, who was in the White Crows, not the Black Crows, but they were in the White Crows, and he knows Jagger, um, he started this camp, he runs this camp, you never really find out why he's not on tour with his band over the summer, which is when most bands go on tour. I can sort of live without knowing that, but I thought it was sort of interesting that you would put, for all intents and purposes, uh, for somebody that toured with the Rolling Stones and Aerosmith and he's friends with all of these guys, you'd think he's sort of a big deal. And you don't know why he wouldn't be on tour when all the bands are on tour. But again, it sort of plays into that question you asked before is this a big regional camp or is this something that is known nationwide see i just love characters like this that blur the line between has been and never was and you never really know the difference mm -hmm. and that could be what it is yeah because we don't really know what he did he said i played with Aerosmith. i played with it. like or are you a studio musician are you a music producer like where do you where do you fall in the spectrum? Right. So now we get into camp and like I didn't go to band camp, which when I think band camp, I only have one thing in mind. American Pie. Okay. Um, which is why I guess they had to call this camp rock and not band camp. Um, oh, I, I, that never even occurred to me. No, they, it was supposed to be called Rock Camp Rules or something like that. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, the, they did themselves a favor by shortening it to Camp Rock, even though for all intents and purposes, rock and roll is... They said rock and roll would never die, but unfortunately, somebody lied. Um, is band... I'm just going to call it band camp. Is band camp like this? Is music camp like this? Why are you asking me? 
Well, didn't you used to do like a week-long thing with the marching band in high school? But that was more like a training than it was an actual camp. It was a requirement if you wanted to have band as your elective that year they made you commit to a week over the summer in which you went to the high school there was no sleepaway camp there were no flutes anywhere it was just (laughs) that we rehearsed on the football field and you needed a solid week to learn the formations because doing that while we were in class there was just not enough time and they weren't going to pull us out of class to to practice. See, and I'm thinking they sent you guys up to some place in the Catskills and like a like a team building. You really think I would have signed up for that? Well, if you have no choice. Okay, but let me ask no, you this then. That's a kidnapping. No, this was all elective. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. When you guys got to band rehearsal over the summer, was everybody like, yeah, instruments, everything's a drum set, and we're just going to create music while we sit here? No, it, it was like the soft open on the first day of school. Like, we were all stoked to see each other, but then it was, you know, a week in the beating sun. Okay. I was just curious. I didn't know. No, there were no flash mobs of any kind. Okay. So... Your camp experience or your training or whatever in the hell you want to call it was it's not rehearsal practice. That's not, it. So it's not decom material. No. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. I don't hate this setup with uh, Shane Gray because no. now Shane gets introduced into the camp and he wants nothing to do with being there and he's being a total diva rock star. His brothers are on the. Well, no, are they on the phone with him? No, they're in the. They're in no, the they car drop with him. him. They drop they him off. They tell him he has to do it. Right. Which I actually buy, too, because otherwise he had to be forced into it. What's to say he's not going to run away? Because there's no security. There's no manager. They're they're just by themselves, which I don't buy from a band that's supposed to be that big. Correct. And I also like that they basically, as they're rolling the window up, go, oh, by the way, you're going to record a song with the winner. Bye. And they just shoot off. I don't think setup is absurd and I really do like it a lot I totally buy it it's a decom right so you're not going to have this rock star cliche of him being an alcoholic or a drug addict where he's got to do to go to rehab or no that's what get him time that's what get him to the greek is for (laughs) exactly this is just you know you got some bad PR you got a slap on the wrist and now you have to make it up so I totally buy the reason for him going there especially that they managed to tie it back that his their uncle owns the camp even though the uncle has some befuddled British accent I'll I'll buy it I, I can overlook that sure but I like that that's also playing into why he ended up there. You know, it could have been any type of community service. It could have been any kind of good publicity stunt, but it gives him a reason to go back and be at this camp, not just, oh, how convenient. He's going to meet our main character now. Mm -hmm. What I don't buy is, as I said before, that he's there for the entire summer. Like, usually if you have this celebrity guest judder, even, even something now, I guess, like the equivalent would be like these celebrity cruises that they do. Celebrities aren't there the whole time you're on board. They meet you at the island. They fly them in. So I don't believe that he's spending the entire summer there. And I certainly don't believe that this band is as big as they are. And he doesn't have security surrounding him 24-7 when he's with that many teeny boppers. Well, they have to set up this 
kind of awkward, we don't really know, budding romance between him and this high school girl, <laughs> Mitchie. Um, we, I mean, we'll talk about that later, but um, I guess that's why they had to have him there the whole time. For the whole time, yes, but as far as not having security, easy solution. Security is keeping all these other girls at bay, but right. he wants just a moment of peace so he can focus on his real music and not what's going to sell. And while he's off having some quiet time, that's where Mitchie runs into him. Mm-hmm. All Easy right. peasy. Let's move on here. I like how early in the movie they soften Tess. When she is on the phone with her mom and she's excited to be at Camp Rock and she's trying to talk to her about it and she's like, oh, 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 okay, th- Bye. Because her mother just has to go because she's out on tour. It's not a startling change late in the film. Like, I sort of expected that that, that's what's going to happen. Like, you have this person that thinks that I'm something special, my mom's famous, I have money, I rule this place. And then it's so uncharacteristic when they have this, now I have mommy issues thing, an hour into a 90-minute movie. I sort of like that they plant this early because we can kind of take this journey with her over the course of the film and we understand that her demeanor is more than being a spoiled brat. Like, she's not Sharpay, right? This is because she's completely insecure. I do believe she's very insecure and I like that this happens early. Exactly. Props to the screenwriters for not making her a total cliche. For sure. Something that doesn't make sense because we're going to take a step back because we took a step forward. So let's take a step back. Mm, I think I know what you have here. Mitchie's crippling stage fright begs the question, why would she even want to go to this camp? She doesn't want to perform in front of people. She's afraid to do it. She hasn't done it outside of choir. She's never had a solo in choir. She's always singing in the background, and she's completely self-conscious about the mu- about the music that she writes. So why would you desire to go to this camp if your ultimate goal is to just stand in the background? I wish I had a better answer for you other than conflict for conflict's sake, because I don't like it here, and I don't like it the first time they did it in Coyote Ugly. Uh, yeah. Because that's Violet's big thing, is that she wants to be this songwriter, but in order to do that, apparently you have to go to open mic nights and sing your own music, and she locks up every time she tries. hmm I feel like they could have milked it with Mitchie more, though. I think that they could have played up on it far more, and that's why she decided to join this girl group, because she was just in her comfort zone being a background singer. But it doesn't answer the question why you wanted to go to this camp. If the idea of the camp is to showcase your skills and learn and get better and and have something that you can pursue, I don't know why she like what is the appeal for her it it doesn't make sense it's like going to it's like going to a baseball fantasy camp because they used to have that for kids over the summer to be a bat boy it just doesn't make any sense yeah if this was something like high school musical where you know they got Vanessa Hudgens character Gabriella yeah. I almost forgot her name where they got her 
to the musical and she's all excited to sing with Troy, but oh my gosh, I've never sang in front of people before. And she had a crippling fear and he had to had to coach her out of it and sing with her. And then it's this amazing duet. I would buy it a little bit more because it's school. Like, yes, you're electing to be in the play, but that final performance, they're going to force that out of you. Here, I have to imagine that if you know you want to go to this camp, this is more of like a theater kid camp where you really want to be there because you want to showcase your talent. And you would think that especially being amongst your peers, that you'd be so much more ready to dive in. Right. I really wish they had leaned into it more because it would have been a great internal conflict of Mitchie if, you know, her parents bent over backwards because they could barely afford it to get her in this camp and now she can't deliver on it. But I feel like that's getting a bit too heavy for a decom. Yeah. So instead, the message is bury who you are and go with the cool kids. I also think it doesn't really matter because the kids who are watching this movie um, are watching this movie so that they can see the Jonas Brothers sing. I don't think it matters what the subject matter was. I think you could take Pet Cemetery and just give it this soundtrack and the kids would be fine with it on the Disney Channel. Probably. Now, I have to... Was that what you thought I was going to say? Because you said, I think we're on the same page with this as I was starting to set up this whole thing with Mitchie. I'm curious to see if that's where you were or if there's something else that stood out to you. No, it's not what I thought you were going to say, although I do agree with you. Um, My big standout here, and this is where the movie just completely lost me, I get why she's lying about her mother's occupation because she's trying to fit in. We see it, like you said, that she's joining the girl group instead of standing out in the front. She just wants to fit in with these kids. And I do appreciate that it kind of happens so fast because it's not just a bunch of kids who want to perform. They all have like bigger ties to the industry. So I can appreciate that they set up the pressure that Mitchie is under. What I can't for the life of me understand is how silly she was to lie about her mother's occupation when her mother is there. It would have been so much better if she said that her father was a big industry executive and the mother accidentally let that slip, which, I mean, kind of poses a different set of questions. The way that they set it up, they're all talking about what their dads do. Um, so she says, my dad owns a hardware store. It's not well received. And then she's like, but my mom. So she was sort of set up for failure in that regard. However, I will play devil's advocate to myself. Then if the dad has this high profile occupation, why is the mother working there? Because it's not like they need the extra money. My point being, let's say she's lying about her father's occupation and the mother is still working at the camp, you still get that back and forth of Mitchie having this double life of helping her mom and keeping it a secret. But it would have been so much more effective if her mom was the one who accidentally outed her that the dad owns a hardware store, he's not a music executive, and then the mom is also disappointed about her lying about who she is after, as I said, they've bent over backwards to getting her in this camp. Because when the mom eventually does find out about the lie, I feel like she doesn't really lay into her enough. 
she's more mm. she feels bad for her she it, it's more about the emotional and oh my gosh i hate that my daughter's so upset because she felt like she had to lie about who she is like i feel like there's no lesson coming from the mother at that point counterpoint um this doesn't really bother me at all because i appreciate the like Mrs. Doubtfire element that we have here of going back and forth and doing everything that you can to hide what's going on and sort of sneaking around and coming up with, with lies as to where you've been and where you're going. Um, but in regards to the mom not scolding her more, I mean, you've got two celebrities in this camp. And you've got Mitchie who they couldn't afford to go there. I think her mom was disappointed but I don't think she was going to scold her any further because I think as the adult in the situation watching the uh environment that you have put your child in I would imagine that that especially at that age it's a formative age um really it is um I would imagine that any kid would be very self-conscious when you are surrounded by my mother wins Grammys every year, and that's a literal rock star standing in front of me. And this one's mother's on Broadway. So I, I kind of... I, you, you, what, you're, what you're saying isn't wrong. I think you're making a case. But that, to me, is not the most egregious thing that happens in this movie. I mean, I guess I'll buy it that she recognizes the real punishment is that she's putting so much pressure on herself. But if it were my kid, I'd be pissed. Right. So, I see, here's my thing. Like, to me, and not that this is that egregious either, but the fact that, like, Shane's first class, and I mean, yeah, technically he blew the first class off, but the first class you see him teach is a dance class. You know, he's he's Why? a vocalist. Why? You know what I'm saying? Like, that to me is a bigger deal and a bigger flub than the mom not scolding her kid. Oh, I meant because Joe Jonas can't really dance. But all of them can, unrehearsed. It's amazing. They've never heard this song before. They've never been in this room before, and yet they are so good at what they do, Mitchie included. When they don't even have proper counts of eight to follow. No, it's incredible. They're all child prodigies. Well, not just that, but, you know, we were talking about how this is a camp that the kids want to go to. So, you know, it's not college where you have to go and learn all of the basics before you can start really getting into your master and your specialty. Why are all of the kids in all of the classes? Why does the drummer kid have to take the dance class? Why is Mitchie singing? And why why is she in the dance class too? Right. It doesn't make sense. that, And I, I get it. You have to fill the room and you have to make it look, look like there's a lot of kids at camp. Okay, fine. But I don't understand why they would have everyone in everything and then they have all these jams pop up like wouldn't you think that there would be all different types of performances throughout the summer from each group yeah this is almost like less camp rock and more camp entertainer exactly um i do like that we as ironic as it is 
uh, coming from a Jonas brother in 2008. I like the whole frustration with only playing the music that the label thinks will sell. I appreciate his frustration. Again, it's ironic coming from a Jonas Brother in 2008. If that was a Jonas Brother that said that today, I would buy that coming out of him. But I think that it is a absolute spot-on observation of the music industry as a whole. Albeit very funny that it's in a Disney film starring a, a band that... Disney basically manufactured. Like, and was forced to wear purity rings. Like, nothing against the Jonas Brothers. I think they are three talented musicians. But, like, Hanson came up on their own. The Jonases really were like a Disney entity. Right. So, hearing it come from him is sort of funny. Disney calling themselves on it, in a way, was sort of ironic but i totally buy that a musician would be frustrated over this because i'm going to tell you a quick story and then we'll get back into this in my early days of radio i interviewed eddie money and he had a slew of hits he was a very very successful musician and i asked him i was curious i said eddie is there a song that you recorded or perhaps you were successful with but you didn't really like that was just curious it was just a weird question that kind of came to me and he immediately went oh yeah walk on water he's like i he goes i didn't like that song i have to perform it at my shows and i don't like to and i said why and he said because it was my highest charting song and i didn't write it i was told by the record company it had to be on my album so, like, true musicians who do write their own music, they do feel this way. I mean, think about, you know, it's, they're artists, right? That's their art. It's what they do. Imagine being a painter and being like, well, that's cool, but at your next showcase, you're going to do a paint-by-numbers. That's sort of what this is. That's what I was going to say. I think that holds true for any artist, because even if you take somebody like George Clooney, he has said, I do one for them, meaning the studio system and one for me. And it's an ongoing debate. And I think something that every artist has to wrestle with is, do I compromise my integrity so that I can get the notoriety for it, and then the more notoriety I have, then I can start having more control and picking my own projects. It's a very fine line. Few people are able to balance it before they feel like they've sold out too much and they've given too much of themselves up. But to your point, yes, it is very interesting and ironic that Disney would call that out in this character when that's exactly what they were having the Jonas Brothers do. Is this movie too much like Cinderella because now we get into this 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 story of Shane Gray is searching for the girl and he's trying to find the magic mystery voice so he's on his magic mystery tour and (laughs) he is literally just having girls sing for him in the hopes that he can recognize the voice I mean it's the same thing as the glass slipper 
That's interesting because we've been talking about so many Cinderella stories lately with our review of the Princess Diaries and Teen Spirit. I'm thinking more of the rags to riches thing. It didn't even occur to me that this is totally a Cinderella type of search for her. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I needed that subplot with him, though, because I like the bond that they were forming. To me, there was already enough conflict that Mitchie sees him for... Even though she's a fan, because she does have the poster on her wall, she sees him for who he is. He's let his guard down with her. They have a good bond, except that she's lying. She's already someone else. Right. And and lying about it. And there's already, you know, they're already setting up that she's going to disappoint him because he believes that she is a down-to-earth person. And I mean, for argument's sake, she is. She just got caught up in the lie. It's not like somebody like Tess who's really putting on the facade Mm -hmm. and manipulating people. Right. Okay. It's funny that you bring that up because that's where I wanted to go to next. When the lie gets exposed, this, the, the reaction from everybody to, like, ostracize her for this is ridiculous. Because they're acting as if she promised everyone in camp a spot on Hot Tunes TV China to, like, be friends with them or to fit in. It, The fact that all of them are like, you lied about your mom making hamburgers. We're not friends anymore. Like, with Caitlyn, I get it because Caitlyn really was her friend in the camp. But for, like... Background dancer number three <laughs> to have the same reaction to me was just really overblown. I have to say, I give all of these kids a lot of credit because that scene, you could pop the tension like it's a balloon. Like you really do feel the weight of it, but you're right for all the wrong reasons. Because, first of all, they like her hamburgers. It's not like the food is bad. You're all very happy to have her there. You've said the food is the best it's been in years. But you're right. They all take it far too personally other than just, wow, you're not who you said you were and that makes you a liar and we're going to turn on you. No, they. you're right. They're acting like she promised them something or that she destroyed their contract or whatever. And especially what really doesn't make sense is that they've put so much weight on Tess finding or stealing Mitchie's songbook. Right. You think that that's going to play a much bigger part than yes. it does. Because Tess doesn't even sing her songs. You're waiting for her to sing one of her songs in the final jam. And then have Shane be like, what? That's the girl? Like uh, like the Little Mermaid. Yes. Yeah. It's the wrong girl. She stole the voice. Right. Nope. Doesn't happen. Instead... A bracelet does not get stolen. It gets planted. And and that's your major plot point. As if, And that's what bothers me, too. As if Mitchie hasn't dealt with enough having to come to terms with everyone thinking that she's a liar. Or everyone finding out that she's a liar. Not thinking she's a liar. Because she is. You add insult to injury by now saying that she stole your bracelet. And planting it in the kitchen of all Th- that's places. That's what I was going to say. I totally buy that Tess would do this. But why not plant it in her bunk or in her backpack? She stuffs it, like, in the middle of a book. A cookbook, I think. Like, above the flower in the kitchen. 
it's I feel like that was their way of just getting through it quickly so that they would be prevented from performing in final jam so that Tess would get her way. It's just so unnecessary though, especially because they go out of their way to set up this it's the end of final jam. So yes. you know because of how many times Uncle What's-His-Name says it. Because I, I, I hate to say it, he's Uncle What's-His-Name. <laughs> I really can't think of his name right now. Um, you know that because of the emphasis he's putting on the end of Final Jam, that that's going to be the setup. Right. Is that on a technicality of the word, they're going to go to Final Jam, everybody's going to perform except Mitchie, and then the show is going to end and then she's going to come. I mean, you know, that's what they're setting up. And what makes it so much worse is that he confirms it at the end. And he was like, oh, I was so hoping that you needed that you picked up on yes. that. We didn't need you to confirm that you were going wink, wink, nudge, nudge to her. I know. I know. So bad. But at Final Jam. We get Tess's mom. TJ shows up, sneaks in, and during the performance, gets up to walk away to go take a phone call. And I'm fine with that because up to this point, I said earlier, I like that they planted this early with Tess that she is so insecure and she's so excited when her mom gets there. It's harsh to see her mother not even take the three minutes to finish listening to the song. She And, like, doesn't even excuse herself. Like, is standing in the middle of the room on the cell phone. Being completely distracting. Yeah, I mean, Tess does get what she deserves, sort of, because this is very harsh. But it should have been Mitchie's win. It should have been Mitchie getting the payback. Right. And it's fine that Margaret wins because she was the backup singer, uh, uh, backup singer to Tess. So... She gets her due. That's fine. But Tess admits that she set up Mitchie and Caitlin. There's no punishment for her. And that really should have, like, absolved them of their crime so that their performance at the end could have been, like, a part of the final jam, therefore making them eligible to win. Like, it's fine that Margaret does win. I'm fine that she wins and Mitchie doesn't. But it just seems like there's no punishment for Tess. And I feel like that has less to do with the fact that Final Jam's basically over and more to do with she's Tess. Right. And then it's, well, I'll see you guys next year. Like, none of this ever happened. And next year we'll be friends. Don't worry. And, like, not even, like, convincingly. She's like, I'll see you next year. By and leaves. She should have been kicked out of camp, honestly. Right. But you're never going to kick TJ Tyler's daughter out of a camp. True. And that's sort of the point. Okay, let's start talking about these characters a little bit. Demi Lovato, Mitchie Torres. I like Demi Lovato in this movie. I thought that I actually thought that the scene where where the lie started falling apart, she was hysterical. Um, actually, I bought that. Um, I didn't think that that was overdone. Um, and I thought that she worked in this role. I think so. I mean, considering that she came up from Barney and this was like her first major role other than being on that show. Yeah. Because I knew that she did the other Disney show, Sunny with a Chance. 
I thought that was before. No, this was like her next big thing. So I, I give her a lot of credit for being able to carry this movie and being an endearing character. What I will say is that she's a much better actress than anyone gives her credit for, because now we're going to spill some tea from our radio days. Yeah. I don't want to upset Demi Lovato fans, and I don't want to sound petty, but there are some things that need to come to light. When, as we said, we, we worked in radio, and at the same time, I was also working at a concert venue. I was working at the Nassau Coliseum, where the New York Islanders play. So... The day that Demi Lovato was having her concert, we were doing a, a radio contest at the station in which the winners could, it was a very select few winners. There was maybe like 25 of them and they could come to the radio station and see a very small intimate performance with Demi Lovato. And, you know, we always knew when these artists were coming and we would prep the station right. for their arrival. You know, it was like all hands on deck. We would all work. Yeah. We made sure that we had everything. When the artist team took the time to send exactly what they needed so that we could be ready for them. Mm-hmm. When you decide that you want minestrone soup an hour before your arrival, that should not have been our problem when we're trying to check the listeners in and get everyone situated and try to wrangle all of these very excited children who are about to meet their idol. That should have been a management team's problem. I think I ended up being the one to run to like this really raggedy deli to get it. I don't know why we didn't just think of getting Prego and <laughs> tossing it in the microwave. Hindsight's twenty twenty, And what upsets me about Demi Lovato is not the minestrone soup. That was the tip of the iceberg. She also refused to come into the station at all. Like, she just wanted to be ready to walk in and sing and then walk right out. She didn't spend any time getting ready. She didn't even sound check. She just wanted to show up, do her thing, and leave. And it came off as very impersonal when she's getting to meet some of her biggest fans it just came off like she didn't really care to be there meanwhile we had people like bruno mars come in and, and he was hung out so cool for hours Katy perry yeah and, and they would all stick around they'd walk around the building they'd talk to the staff so you know from from seeing people of her well i don't want to say of her caliber because we had artists that were more popular had more of a music history had sold more albums and were more humble than this girl who who couldn't even be bothered so she comes in and and again still not not my gripe with her my gripe is that she came in sang two songs decided that she couldn't get through anymore and she's her her words to her fans were sorry guys but I have a show to do tonight so I can't sing anymore I have to rest my voice and I sort of understand that because you have to answer to a room full of people who paid to see you so you have to bring your a game however if she had stayed and make up, made up for the song she didn't sing and spent the time taking the pictures, signing the autographs, and gave them more FaceTime and talked to them, I'd have a lot more respect for her. This was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm leaving. 
And, and to me, it was just such a lack of professionalism. Aside from the fact that you couldn't even handle on your vocals two more songs, the way that she handled it was just completely off-putting. And if I remember correctly, didn't she kind of like put the call to action, like what song do you want to hear? And somebody said something. And didn't they get like 30 seconds in and then she just stopped and she was like, oh, you know what? No, that, that one's too hard. I don't want to sing that one anymore. Yeah, she couldn't do it. And then that's when she decided to stop. And then I went to go and work her show that night. And when I tell you that they boosted those background vocals up so much to drown her out because she couldn't sing, it had nothing to do with I'm resting my voice for the paying audience and everything to do with she could not handle it. Okay, now it's my turn because the Jonas Brothers are in this movie. Before I get into my story... Um, yeah, they're the Jonas Brothers. They're basically playing themselves in a movie, but I actually did find them entertaining, and I did like Joe Jonas in this movie. What I really didn't like was Kevin Jonas. I felt bad that he had to <sighs> dumb himself down like yeah, this. Yeah, they gave him, like, the dimwit role. It, yeah. It was almost like watching, you know, the decline of Eric Matthews in Boy Meets World, where he started off as the really funny older brother. And by the end, he just got so dumb. And I was like, why did you agree to this? Although I'm sure that Will Friedle had much more of a say in what happened to Eric than Kevin Jonas did about this character that wanted a, a birdhouse. <laughs> yeah, probably. Okay, so here's my story with the Jonas Brothers. And I will preface this with, I now, I don't regret what I did because somebody had to do it to them. <laughs> so um, I'm sure that they did not learn the life lesson from me, but in my mind, I feel justified. But if I would meet them now, I would not have conducted myself the way that I did because I actually do respect them a lot. Well, because now they have the chops to back well, it up. That's the other thing. Okay, so... The radio station we worked at, this was like their go-to thing. Win this exclusive performance for 25 people. At a secret location. At a secret location. The basement of the radio station. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry, it's that pollen. Um, Seven years have passed. We don't even need to do that. So we do it for the Jonas Brothers. And this is like when the Jonas Brothers are like just starting to get huge. Um, we tried to do it with Bieber. That was a stupid idea. That didn't work. But we did it with the Jonas Brothers. Um, here's the thing. Same thing. It's the same demographic. Ten-year-old kids, nine-year-old kids. This was not like, come see them on a Saturday. This was like, nine o'clock in the morning on a freaking Tuesday. So that means that the kids that did win their way in had to get out of school. The parents had to get off from work, and a lot of them took a half day at work because they couldn't take an entire day. The kids had tests, couldn't be out of school for an entire day. And when you're told, yeah, it's going to start at 9 o'clock and it's going to run about an hour and you're going to meet them, take a picture, get an autograph, and go, you're thinking, okay, I can have my kid into school by fourth period or you know whatever in the hell time it is, and I'll be at work by 12 o'clock. 9 o'clock, 9.30, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. No Jonas Brothers. Now, the parents who can't stay have to get the kids out of there. Not to mention the kids who are already excited Heart enough that they're going broken. to meet the Jonas Brothers are bouncing off the walls 
but in now, a basement and we're made to entertain them. And now they're heartbroken because some of them could not stay. And we're getting screamed at like it's our fault because some of these parents lost their minds. They were not wrong, and I told them they were not wrong. I said, you're not wrong. These diva children are doing this to your kids. It's not fair. These guys don't arrive until after 12 o'clock for those who have remained, which was about a little less than three quarters. I'm up on the top floor. I'm at the top of the stairs because I was working like security because we wanted to make sure like the bathrooms were upstairs. Now we've got to let the listeners use the bathroom outside the sales pit with the and the jocks are there. But like we don't want them roaming the building. And the studio is right there, too. That's the, the other thing. You can't right have there them at... wander into the studio. So I'm like working security. Now here come the Jonas Brothers. And I'm standing there and I know who they are. And the record executive, I had my staff shirt on. They're like, are we ready to go? And I said, yeah, they're downstairs. And they're like, oh, cool. All right, we're going to get them down. And uh, oh, what, by the way, uh, let me introduce you to the Jonas Brothers. And I'm going to censor myself because this is a family-friendly show. I look at my boss who's standing next to me because he's fed up too. Because I know he's not going to say anything. I'm a nobody. I go, who the bleep are the Jonas Brothers? And they didn't take very kindly to it. But they went downstairs. They took their pictures. They performed their song and they left. I wouldn't do that now. But damn it, I was proud to do it then. I feel like this story says a lot more about you than it does about the Jonas Brothers. However, no, there's there's no excuse because we got no explanation as to None. why they were so late. So I feel like it was not an issue with the management. You know, it wasn't like, oh, my God, sorry, our transportation broke down. Our flight got in late. The, there was no rhyme or reason for it. So we were led to believe that it was one of the guys holding us up. Right. I mean, Modest Yahoo ran late. He gave us the courtesy of a phone call. He ta- he personally talked to our secretary to apologize for being late. Right, because I feel like what also needs to be explained is that our station was about an hour and a half outside of Manhattan. Yeah, give it's out on Long Island. It's local to us. But the reason that we got so many of these big artists to come by, aside from the fact that it was a top 40 station, a big top 40 station, and a a classic rock station with a very rich history on the island we the big draw was that it's only an hour and change outside of manhattan and that's why if an artist was performing that night or if they were performing at the coliseum that's why we would get them because we were right there yeah it was one day they literally paid just over the intercom they were like hey guys come to the conference room sean kingston's here it was like that would happen another really nice guy Right. John Kingston. So when you're talking about being, what, three hours late for the performance? Yeah. There's really no excuse because you were going to be there anyway. So unless your manager is telling us, I'm so sorry the flight was delayed, we got stuck somewhere, there's absolutely no reason for it. No, but that's our story. And otherwise, we're, we're about to become senior citizens screaming at cloud. Um, <laughs> Megan Martin plays Tess Tyler. Um 
I got to tell you, I like this character. She's she's Sharpay, but she's not Sharpay, right? Like there's there's depth to this character that you don't get with Sharpay. Um, and I just think that she is a well-written character who's better fleshed out. You had to have an antagonist, not a bad guy, but an antagonist. She works. I agree with you. She's a good antagonist because she's not annoying, but she is unlikable. Mm -hmm. She's like your classic mean girl. Yes. Allison Stoner plays Caitlin Geller. I absolutely love her 80s style. Everything that she wears looks like something out of a Madonna video. And that was like before 80 chic was a thing. So I really, I, that much I can tell you I appreciate. As far as a character goes, she's fine. She's the good friend. Um, she's quirky. Uh, I, she's not objectionable. But I love the fact that when all of these other kids look like an Abercrombie commercial, she looks like Madonna. I love the character because, I mean, I love any character like this because she reminds me of the girl in High School Musical where everyone wants to be out singing, you know, at the front of the stage or in front of the camera. But then you had the girl who was the composer. Yes. And it adds so much more depth to the character. And it, I think that's so important for the kids to see that you don't always have to be out in front of the crowd to be able to participate in something like this or have a job in the industry. There's a million other jobs that don't require you being the center of attention. So I think that's super important. But what I love more than Caitlin's character, I love Allison Stoner. A lot of people don't know that she's the girl from the Missy Elliott videos, which for the kids that are listening, that's the the lady who has potential that performed with Katy Perry at the halftime show in the Super Bowl. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's what they said about Millie, Missy Elliott, is that she has potential. But anyway, she was the girl from her music videos. She was in Cheaper by the Dozen, the remake with Steve Martin and Hilary Duff, and yes. I loved her in that. And she was in so many other films as a child actress, and... She just kind of got, and, and she's such a talented dancer. That's the other thing that stood out to me. As soon as she was standing behind that DJ booth and she did the the little move where she like hit herself on the head and pulled herself back up, mm -hmm. I was I recognized her because she obviously was wearing a lot more makeup and I was like, oh, snap, that's the girl. But anyway, um, she kind of got fed up with Hollywood and she said she just didn't love it anymore. Um, you know, which which is sad when that happens, because when somebody that talented, you think they're going to go so far getting started at such a young age. But it's unfortunate when they just burn out. And I mean, now she's doing a lot of voice voice actor work. Uh -huh. uh, so she's still in the industry, but she was such a talented kid. I was really excited to see what she was going to do. And, you know, it happens. It's a shame. Yeah. Maria Canals Barrera is Connie. That's Mitchie's mom. And yeah, she's fine. Um, I, I have no real issues with her. I, to be honest with you, there's, there's not much. I mean, I think she's supportive. I, I think she's a good mom. I think she, she's fine as a character, but doesn't really do much to push the story forward other than be the lie that Mitchie tells. I mean, she's tropey. That's not a knock at the actress. She was fine but it, she's just tropey she's mitchy's sounding board when she feels like she can't fit in 
yes, she's the lie, but you're right. Other than that, doesn't really do anything for the story. Yeah. Daniel Fathers is Brown Cesario, Uncle Brown, which I thought they kept saying. Got it. But yeah, that's his name, Uncle Brown. Fun, uh, funny. Um, I, I, I think that this person, um, if they were real, um, I buy him as the director that actually does want what's best for these kids. Yeah, like I said, I, I just think those characters are so funny where you don't know if they did have this big career and they're sort of reminiscing about it or they never had it and they want it. Um, but I buy him and I like the relationship. I, I actually was very taken with all of his scenes with Joe. Yes. I, I thought they had great chemistry between the two of them and I really believed him as the uncle who's fed up with his teenage nephew's BS. Mm-hmm. And Julie Brown plays D. LaDuke, Camp Rock's musical director whose sole purpose is to show up and show you the white of her eyes. Because <laughs> um, that's... She... Nothing against Julie Brown. This character is useless. Basically, this character exists so that there's another adult in the camp other than Uncle Brown. You're absolutely right. But I do like Julie Brown. I loved her in Clueless as the gym teacher. And, you know, I, I think she works here. All right. You want to start getting into the songs? No, but we have to. I won't do a disservice to our listeners by not talking about them. Okay. Although I don't have many nice things to say. Yeah. Um, Who Will I Be is the song that starts the movie off. I think it's a kind of a fun way to intro Mitchie. And that's all I got on that one. Yeah, I mean, like I said, good intro for the character, high energy. She comes off as endearing, which, like I said, is more than I can say from for Demi Lovato. But um, yeah, you know, it's a good, it's a good montage kickoff song. Mm-hmm. What it takes is the next song on the soundtrack. Um, I actually think this is one of the better songs. Um, and if I haven't dated myself enough, it's because it reminds me of like late 80s kind of hip hop, sort of like a Paula Abdul um, sort of feel to it. Um, yeah, I, I kind of dig this one. You know who didn't dig it is every single background extra in that scene. Did you notice they are lifeless? This girl Lola, the, the actress that plays Lola, I mean, she's performing. She's doing a great job. I agree with you, especially because her outfit is very bright and vibrant. It totally reminds you of an 80s song or an 80s video. But these kids, I don't know if it was that they were promised that they could watch a Jonas Brothers performance and this wasn't it. But somebody needed to wake them up. Yeah, for sure. It drags the whole scene because it's so noticeable. It's yeah. awful. Speaking of awful, too cool. Um, <laughs> it's it's too Sharpay, right? Like this has been my whole thing is that I like that uh, Tess is not Sharpay. This song sounds like something that Sharpay sang in one of the really bad high school musical sequels. It's almost too hokey for its own good. And it almost does sort of contradict the character because she's singing about how, you know, the song comes off as how into herself she is. And that's not really the character. Yes, the character's mean. Yes, the character is controlling. But what we like about this character is that they are layered 
because they are trying to live up to their parents, not even the parents' expectation. They're just trying to get their mom to notice them, and it's sad. So it almost does her a disservice trying to make her, like, yes, she is the popular girl, but they shouldn't have turned it into her being stuck up. Mm -hmm. For sure. I agree with you 110%. Gotta Find You is, well, the song's good, but they might as well have called it Gotta Find a Radio Hit. Um, because that's really what they're trying to do. But I, I like it. Um, I think Joe Jonas does a good job with this song. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's fine. Yeah, I think it's fine. But what else the hell else do you want me to tell you about it? Start the party. Um, this is like such a decom song. Like you could take this song, start the party, and drop it in. Yes, you know what I'm saying. Like pick a decom, throw a dart at it. You could drop this in don't look under the bed and i'd be like right because it's a decom this is not special it's not bad but it just feels like you could insert that into every single decom soundtrack and i'd be like oh yeah the song from high school musical you know what i'm saying like there's just nothing about it that really stands out you could even put it in halloween town even though that is heavily themed right it's it's it just sounds like yeah it belongs in this decom universe play my music is the song you get where it is all three jonas brothers and i actually really enjoyed this i do too i think it's just a really fun summer song um and i'm sort of surprised that it didn't become a big summer single I thought it was a single. I thought I remembered hearing this on the radio. But I'm saying I don't think it performed the way that they had hoped that it would. It, it certainly didn't outperform This Is Me. Um, and I think this is the better song. Um, I think this is the more fun song. Whatever they are playing their own instruments. Let's just appreciate that. Uh, you want to talk about another great song? Uh, Hasta la Vista. Yeah, this is a great rock and roll song that totally belongs at Camp Rock. Oh, my goodness. Jumping on trampolines. Um, yeah, I, I, okay, I guess. Uh, um, I, uh, it, it doesn't do it for me. What can I tell you? It just doesn't do it for me. Yeah, they were clearly more interested in having this music video style performance with the trampolines and all the pizzazz than they were in the actual song. What really takes me out of it is that Tess's other background friend, whose name I don't even know. Friend admittedly. two. Yeah, friend two, because she has played literally no part. It, it's not even like in Mean Girls, Amanda Seyfried's character, where everybody remembers that because she can tell when it's raining with her boobs. Like, you didn't even give her the funny line that we can take away. But magically... She got kicked out of Tess's group and knows every single word to Asta La Vista and all the choreography. Yeah. Which is also where we would have benefit by seeing what classes these kids are actually in. Because then I might buy that she knew all of the words and all the dance moves if she was with these kids in another class. Mm-hmm. We also don't know who's writing this music. Is this something that Uncle Brown is writing? Is this something that the kids are writing on their own? Because it's clearly all original content. Right. But be that as it may, Two Stars is the next uh, song here. And I do buy this as a teen pop song. Like, I can see, like, this little teeny bopper song getting played on the radio. Yeah, no, and I, I think it's a good moment for Tess with the mirrors. Again, I mean, 
I'll buy the metaphor of the self-reflection because her character's about to answer for everything that she's done. Okay, fine, as on the nose as it is. I'll let that one slide. But again, you're turning her into Sharpay and making her shallow when she does have a bigger reason for wanting all of this attention. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think that they do it a disservice when she runs away into the fetal position and starts crying in a corner. Yeah. Because um, it's overdone. We've seen it a thousand times. And again, it should have been, if we're going to see Tess come down, Mitchie should have had a hand in it. Even though I don't believe that of Mitchie's character, that she's going to make her feel bad. But there should have been an element of her getting even. And you never get that at right. all. Instead, you get it from Margaret, who sings Here I Am. I think it's a good finale song. I mean, again, you took a, a pretty decent song, actually, and you really did it a, a horrendous disservice with a very bad, cheesy, washed-out flashback montage. We don't need to see every time Tess was mean to her, because we just saw it. Right. See, here's the thing, though. I think that they needed to take away from her performance because you can't have her be better than Mitchie. Although I do believe that this is a better song and a better performance and she's, quote unquote, playing her own instrument. That's the thing. Aside from the Jonas Brothers, the air guitar in this film was so bad. She was not synced up at all. I don't know what chords she was changing. That was pretty bad, but... My point is, this was a bigger character moment yes, and a bigger song than Mitchie has. So I think the flashbacks were sort of there to distract you from the fact that she's actually killing it. Mm-hmm. This Is Me is Demi Lovato's song. We've heard her sing it throughout the movie. Here, obviously, is your radio hit. Um, I remember playing this on the station when we worked there. I had no idea it came from this movie. I didn't either. Um and again, um, you got to ruin it with something just really cheesy. The slow-mo head turn with Joe Jonas's hair. Oh, God. When he realizes, this is me. This is literally me. Cinderella, I'm here. You found me. Um, really cheesetastic. They did have Demi Lovato's parents and the Jonas Brothers' parents in the audience, though for that scene at the camp. Like, they're real parents, not not the Torreses I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's kind of cute. Um, and the movie ends on, like, a, a freeze frame of Joe... We're all in this together. ...and Mitchie, and they kind of look like they're going to kiss each other, and they don't, and that's fine. And this, this is kind of wraps up what I was saying earlier. Like, I don't know what the age gap is between them. I assume that it's got to be at least a few years and she's a high school kid. Um, you know, it's not like Hanson um, when they were 12 and 13 years old. I mean, I, I guess the youngest of the Jonas Brothers was like 14, but like he wasn't the focus. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't the lead that was going to land the girl. Um, so it sort of begs the question, is this a little, is this a little uncomfortable? Did you think that it was? No, I mean, I sort of wish that they had delivered on the kiss to sort of, you know, solidify their relationship a little bit more because otherwise it does sort of feel like they're just friends. You know, like there's a little bit of a flirtation and I get the point of this film is not to be a rom-com, but, you know, it just would have been 
the happy ending. I do get why they shied away from it, though, is because you've got these guys wearing purity rings. So maybe you don't even want to see them kissing another girl. I mean, every boy band had that contract where you could not expose that you had a relationship. You had to appear single to make all the girls keep on loving you and keep on putting money in your pocket. So I totally get all of that. But it's like, you know, this is a movie. He's acting. Right. Even a five-year-old who's a fan can understand that. Yeah. They'll understand that more than what a purity ring is. Yeah. Um, okay. Which I just realized now, like, Disney, you really put it on parents to have to explain what this is to your five, six-year-old child? Great marketing. I mean, not the worst thing Disney's done. I mean, up to, I mean we didn't lose a parent in this movie. Disney has no problem tackling that in most of their films. I think the purity ring of all of them is sort of the least uh, risque thing. But be that as it may, okay. Uh, Final say. I'll I'll tell you what, I'll go first. I'll go first. Um, I think the sets are great. They did shoot it at a YMCA camp uh, up in Ontario. Um, I I think the sets look great. I will say I think the movie's entertaining. I think it's better the second time around, and it's entertaining. Is it by any stretch of the imagination a great movie? No, but it's not made for me either. A 12-year-old loves it, right? And that, that's who it's made for. It was never going to be uh, something that was going to win an Emmy Award. It was never going to get a theatrical release and contend for an Oscar or anything. Um... It sort of just is what it is, um, and that's what it is. It's fine. It's not the worst decom I've ever seen, not by far. This is better than Teen Beach Two. Doesn't say much, but this is better than High School Musical Two. Again, it doesn't say much, but it's it's not the worst that I've seen. But when I think decom, this is the kind of stuff that I think before we really started like delving into them and talking about them for, and watching them for the purpose of the show. I 100% agree with you. Is it the worst we've ever seen? No. Is it the best we've ever seen? No. I think Teen Beach will always hold that title because we love that movie. And we loved it, seeing it for the first time at like 32, 33 years old. What I was hoping for with this one... Because, you know, the big ones that you hear about are this and High School Musical. We have said we don't love High School Musical. I can see where people do love it. It's just I missed the boat on that one. And I, I, was, I really like the first one, actually. It's it's okay. But I just didn't buy into the hype. And I think I was just too old for it. Yes. So what I was hoping for was that this being equally as popular, I would have seen the hype and it would have been a better story and a more believable story. And I think that's where this one almost fails even worse because it's a very simple concept of a summer camp where you're performing. So the musical numbers should have been tied to the story a lot more. They should have come in at more opportune moments It's amazing how you force them in here when you're talking about going to a camp for musicians. 
So I think that they could have handled that much better. Uh, and I think that they overcomplicated the story, which should have been a very simple concept. Right. Not awful. Definitely not my favorite. Hoping the second one's better. We want to know what you have to say about Camp Rock. Let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, as well as a contest winner, but first, a quick break. Hey, guys, my name is Mike. I listen to Jackie and Sean's podcast every week on my commute into work. So I reached out to Jackie, and she helped me put together the perfect getaway. I did a four-night Disney cruise ship, and she was able to answer every question that I threw at her. She put together the perfect dates and an insurance plan that made the whole experience stress-free. She was able to help me with little tips and tricks, like you can get a Mickey Mouse bar delivered to you any time of the day. And I think that was a mistake, because now I put about 10, 15 pounds on. I'll definitely be using Jackie again in the future. Thanks for everything. So if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, you can reach out to me on any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. News this week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Designs. Kelly has you covered if you are looking for that touch of Disney in your life, and actually, she did release some new journals today. They look really cool. You should go scope them out on her website. Plus, listeners of the show, get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. The website is karmaandkismetdesigns.com. That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. Okay, so now that we are borderline post-pandemic, at least in the world of Disney, because things, at least for Walt Disney World, are really starting to get back to normal, we are now starting to see... Things spring up. We know the ridiculous things in the lagoon for uh, for the new show at Epcot's been there, and it's highly controversial. But um, I'm sort of excited about this. Uh, well, not excited for this because I'm not a tremendous fan of Moana. I'm just happy that the ground broke on something because they did break ground on the Moana water attraction um, over at Epcot Center. The most I can say about it is Disney broke ground on a project after everything that we've been through for the last year, Disney broke ground on a project. And regardless of what that project is, I think that the most important thing is, for those sitting in the back, Disney broke ground on a project this week. I don't want to lose sight of the bigger picture, because it is important that, as you said, Disney broke ground on a project. Even though I'm not a Moana fan, this is a big deal. Especially because, you know... Like you said, they broke ground on something. We are not getting Mary Poppins for a very, very long time because they had not broken ground on it before the shutdown. If ever. Yeah. If ever. Let's put that out there. I mean, I, I don't want to make any assumptions, but it ain't going to happen for a while. I have pounded the table for the past couple of weeks over, let's please get harmonious out of the middle of world showcase. So I would love to see that happen before we start ground breaking ground on anything new, but it, it's good that they're starting a new project and I'm not going to lose sight of that. Epcot is kind of a mess right now though. So I'm glad that our trip is not until November and I'm hoping that by the time we get there, some of these walls are coming down. I hope so. Um, all right. Time to announce the winner of our latest contest. This was to win a Monorail Radio t-shirt as well as a 
Blu-ray DVD combo of 101 Dalmatians to celebrate the release of Cruella, as well as a really cool straw charm from the Hidden Mickey Supply Co., our friends over at Hidden Mickey Supply Co., Taylor and Heather. So, thank you everybody for entering this contest. Our winner is Tony P. Tony, we are going to reach out to you via social media to get your mailing address and your t-shirt size and we will get that package out to you this week thank you guys so much for joining us this and every week on monorail radio don't forget to like subscribe and rate us on your podcast platform of choice and to keep up with everything that we're doing like when we run our next contest that's always going to be on our social media on twitter instagram and facebook at monorail radio we're also on tiktok at monorail radio and to find the links to all of that you can go to monorailradio.com for jackie i'm sean have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.